are in Isaiah, and we are in chapter 23, and we're going through oracles of everybody in and around Israel during the Assyrian conquest. Israel, of course, gets taken away entirely. Judah gets subjugated and pays tribute and so forth. And then the nations around there get various oracles depending on what their relationship to Israel and Assyria. So we're going to talk about Tyre and Sidon tonight, and that will be chapter 23. And then starting in chapter 24, which we may get through or not, we start getting some end time stuff. So this oracle against Tyre and Sidon is sort of the last of the oracles about the surrounding nations with respect to the Assyrian conquest. And then we'll get some end time stuff in the next three chapters after that. We'll see how far we get. So 23, the oracle concerning Tyre, wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus, it is revealed to them, be still, O inhabitants of the coast, the merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you and on many waters your revenue was the grain of Sihor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. So the first one is Tyre. I'll quickly go over who Tyre was. Tyre and Sidon are two Phoenician cities that are on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, north of Israel. Tyre, I was reading today, has been inhabited since 2300 B.C., so it's seriously old, and it was a trading nation. And the thing that made them so powerful is they were the first ones in that area to develop blue water navigation. Everybody else would hop along the shore of the sea. As you were sailing, you would be sailing down the coast and you would never really get out of sight of land. In order to get, for example, from Greece down to Egypt, you had to sort of go around Turkey and then down around Syria and Lebanon and then down around Israel and, and around. So you have to take this big arc to get from, say, for example, Greece to Egypt. The Phoenicians developed blue water sailing, which means that they could go straight across the Mediterranean. And that was a big deal because obviously it shortened travel times all sorts of economic advantages there. And I found something interesting today. Phoenician, which is the world that they're called in modern times, was a Greek word, and it means people of purple, because one of their main industries was purple dye, which was made from a murex or a squid or something like that, some kind of a sea animal. And, of course, uh, Tyrian purple was known as regal colors. So they made a great deal of money manufacturing and exporting dyes to the point that they were known as the people of purple, if you will, because of that trade. The original Tyre was on an island. There were two cities. There was Tyre, which was on the island, and then there was an associated city on the mainland. And the island city became the more prosperous 
especially as people started attacking them because the island gave them natural defenses. So the shore-based town became a suburb of the island-based town, and people would run over to the island-based town when people attacked. As I said, these are merchant folks. They are not really warriors. So their deal is when somebody tries to attack them, they try and figure out a negotiation, all right, how much is this going to cost, and pay whatever tribute is necessary so they can continue their trade. So that makes them an attractive target for empires. The Assyrian Empire attacked them. The Babylonian Empire attacked them. Alexander the Great attacked them. And in fact, Alexander is the first one that actually conquered them. Everybody else just messed up trade so bad that they sued and figured out a, a tribute, if you will, you know, payment to the mafia, payment to whoever the local empire was, and just let us alone trade and we'll give you a cut kind of thing. Alexander got seriously ticked at them. Apparently the reason was, and, and this, by the way, foreshadows what's going to happen to Israel later on. The king disenfranchised the priestly class, set up a new god that was run by the palace instead of by the local temple which meant now that the king had a cut of all the religious action. Now, apparently, the, getting the priests out of the middle of things made commerce go better and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it was just a big advantage to everybody, so nobody rebelled. But one of the things they did is during the spring feast, which is interestingly a resurrection feast where the god is burned and the ship goes out to sea and then the god is resurrected and, and so forth, Oh yeah, I mean, those, those stories are all over uh, the Middle East. But anyway, the deal was, during the spring festival, all the foreigners were asked to leave town. This is just between us and our God. So the foreigners were all asked to leave town during the festival, and they all come back after the festival. When Alexander came up and did what all the other empires do, is put them under tribute and so forth, he says, well, I would like to sacrifice to your God. And they said, no. And they offered to let him sacrifice in the suburb on the shore as opposed to the temple on the island. He was seriously insulted and really ticked. So what he did is he destroyed the town on the shore, took all the building stones and made a causeway from the shore to the island and then proceeded to take the city, kill 30,000 people. He was upset. And to this day, Tyre is now part of the mainland because that causeway that Alexander built has silted in. So the actual old city of Tyre is just a little bump off the coast. It's no longer an island. Anyway, they had brisk trade with everybody in the Mediterranean. So in verse 3, And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Sihor, the harvest of the Nile. Well, Sihor is a town probably in the Nile Delta, and the Phoenicians would go to Egypt and load their ships up with grain and sell grain. Tarshish, nobody knows where it is. There's some speculation. Several ancient texts identify Tarshish with Carthage. So Carthage is a town in North Africa where Tunis is today. And Carthage was a Phoenician colony. During the time when Rome was ascendant, 
Carthage and the Phoenicians gave Rome all sorts of fits. Hannibal was a Carthaginian. You all know of Hannibal. He's the guy that took the elephants and came over the Alps and all that kind of stuff. He was a Carthaginian. So several ancient texts identify Carthage with Tarshish. The fact that other places in scripture we get the idea that tin comes from Tarshish, a lot of people think it may be a town in the Iberian Peninsula. Because remember, the Phoenicians were doing deep water sailing, which means that they could sail straight across the Mediterranean as opposed to hopping around the shore. But they were bringing metals, they were bringing grains, they were bringing luxury goods, very, very wealthy. The thing that struck me as I was reading this 23 is it sounds very much to me like Revelation. Remember where it says Babylon has fallen? And it talks about the captains of you know, merchant ships who were offshore wailing at the burning of Babylon because they had gotten all of their gain from trade with Babylonians. You all remember that passage in Revelation? This thing with Tyre and Sidon feels very much the same to me. Start again. The oracle concerning Tyre, wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. You all know where Cyprus is, right? It's an island in the Mediterranean. There's two really big islands on the eastern Mediterranean. There's Cyprus and there's Crete. And what this is indicating is the ships of Tarshish are harbored in Cyprus, and they can't get to Tyre to unload their cargo. That's why they're whaling. In other words, they're coming to uh, Tyre with cargo that they want to sell, and they can't get the job done. And then to be still on inhabitants of the coast, the merchants of Sidon who crossed the sea have filled you. So Sidon and Tyre are two major Phoenician cities. Over time, Tyre comes to eclipse Sidon. Now, a lot of the wealth of Tyre and Sidon comes from trade with Israel. Because you remember in 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, David was a good friend of the king of Tyre, and his son Solomon was an excellent friend of Hiram, the king of Tyre and Sidon. And so what they did is they provided cedars, timber from the hills of Lebanon, they also provided trade goods. So Tyre became, on the Mediterranean, Israel's deep water trade outlet. And Solomon and Hiram did a number of joint ventures. So Israel had access to the port of Elat, Elat being on the southern end of Israel. This is before the Suez Canal. So Israel has access to the port of Elat, Tyre has its own deep water port on the Mediterranean. So what you have coming up from a lot is all of the riches of Africa. Ivory, luxury goods like monkeys and animals and so forth. The stuff that comes up around the bottom of Arabia. So the tremendous wealth coming up from the south through the port of a lot gets transshipped to Tyre where the Phoenicians then take it and they can spread it across the entire Mediterranean. You've all heard of the wealth of Solomon. A great deal of that wealth came from the partnership between him and Hiram to transship goods and so forth. Long history lesson, 
But the point is, as the northern kingdom is destroyed and the Assyrians dominate the region, Tyre gets shut down as they're trying to negotiate what the tariff is going to be with the Assyrians. And the things the Assyrians want from them is, of course, trade goods. They also want things like metals. So tin is a big deal because you need tin to make bronze. Copper and tin make bronze. Copper and zinc make brass. So tin is a big deal. And the fact that Tyre transships a lot of tin from Tarshish is a big deal. It's a big deal militarily. It's obviously a big deal for commercial reasons. The comment was that Jezebel came from Phoenicia. I don't know if she was a princess or a priesthood daughter, but the idea that it would have been a political marriage is certainly very possible. The two main Phoenician gods were Baal and Ishtar, or Astarte. Same god, it goes all over the region there. And when I was saying that the king co-opted religion and set up his own god, Baal and Astarte were the ones that got displaced. Baal and Ishtar were very prevalent throughout the Fertile Crescent. Baal was sort of a god of weather, storm god, nature, that kind of stuff. His wife, Astarte, or Ishtar. So when the king of Tyre displaced the priestly class, those are the two gods that got displaced. And he set up his own god, run by the palace, who was the Persian version of Hercules, from the Greek mythology. Slightly different name, but basically that's who it was. I don't know when that coup, if you will, took place, but you remember Jezebel had some 400-odd priests of Baal that were floating around in the northern kingdom. This is speculation now. This is not I have studied it, and sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if as the cult of Baal and Ishtar or Astarte got displaced, you may have had a bunch of the priests of that cult slide on down to Israel. Because one of the things that happens, of course, is the northern kingdom goes into Baal worship, and that's one of the reasons that they get sanded off by the Assyrians. Could be good speculation. It could just be nothing more than speculation. So anyway... Verse 3, and on many waters your revenue was the grain of Sihor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. By the way, one of the big deals in that part of the world, in fact anywhere, is in order to raise an army you needed surplus food. If you were sort of subsistence farming, you didn't have a lot of time to round everybody up and go off and harass your neighbors unless you figured you could make a profit on the deal, which many did. But one of the things about the Assyrian army is that the campaigning season was in the winter because during the summer, the army all had to come home and do farming. And remember the unfortunate incident with Bathsheba and David? And it says specifically in the season when kings go to war. So the idea was You don't have all your soldiers home farming right now. This is the time when you get to go out and harass your neighbors. And of course, David wasn't harassing his neighbors. He was oogling Bathsheba. But there was a cycle to things. And for the Phoenicians to have surplus grain from Egypt that they could transship meant 
that you could feed an army without having them do their own farming. And the empires that were successful were ones that set up administrative structures so that they could arrange to keep their army fed and in the field as opposed to having to bring them back every spring for planting and, and all that kind of stuff. So Tyre is a big, big deal in the Mediterranean basin simply because of the wealth and the surplus, not only of metals and luxury goods, but things like grain. I don't know what Assyrian sea rations looked like, but not having to go home and do farming in the summer meant that you could keep your army in the field a lot longer. Verse 4, Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. Commentary I read on that says that the wealth of Sidon was not from her people. In other words, her wealth was from the sea, trade. And it didn't depend on having a large surplus population who could raise extra food so you could put your army in the field. So the idea here is that their wealth doesn't come from surplus population, and surplus population comes from surplus food. In other words, if you're generating surplus food, then the next thing you're going to do is generate surplus population, which then means that you have the wherewithal to put an army out. And what this is saying is Sidon didn't get its power and wealth that way. It got it from the sea. Verse 5. When the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. And the reason Egypt will be in anguish is because they've got no place to sell their grain and their cotton and all of the things that they normally are able to sell to the merchant ships of Tyre unless you're Joseph, having warehouses full of grain at some point becomes a detriment. You really want to be able to sell that. Verse 6, cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Nobody's quite sure where Tarshish is. It's often represented as somewhere far off, as in going to Timbuktu. In some places in Scripture, it's very much used in that sense, you know, just someplace far away. There are speculations, as I say, that it's Carthage. Other speculations that it is on the Iberian Peninsula. Other speculations that it's Britain, because Britain also mines tin. But nobody knows. So cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. And I am thinking that means two things. Crossing over to Tarshish means that you've got to take an ocean voyage, but we have problems with Tyre and Sidon in that they are not operating. And the other one is, whale inhabitants of the coast, well, all of your trading posts are on the coast. So you have Carthage, Corinth, the place where the Corinthian letter got written to, that's a seaport. I mean, there's all sorts of seaports around the Mediterranean, and if the Phoenicians are shut down, then all of them suffer. So wail, O inhabitants of the coast, is this your exultant city whose origin was from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Remember I said that Tyre was established somewhere around 2500 BC, which is give or take around the time of the Egyptian captivity. 
whose feet carried her to settle far away while she did establish colonies around the perimeter of the Mediterranean. Verse 8, who has purposed this against Tyre? The bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are the honored of the earth. Now that can have, again, two different contexts. The bestower of crowns could talk about a wealthy merchant class. You know, sort of the Donald Trump of the Mediterranean. He's made so much money that he is regarded as a prince. That's certainly a fair reading of that. It could also be that these people are financiers who are the powers behind the politics of some of the states around the Mediterranean. What they are known to us today is donor class in our politics. And the donor class in our politics are the ones who are the bestowers of crowns, which is to say, by their financial support, they are able to influence politics. I don't know which census is made in, but either one works. So back in verse 8, who has purposed this against Tyre? In other words, who is causing these problems for Tyre? Who has purposed this against Tyre? The bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders are the honor on the earth. The Lord of hosts has purposed it. In other words, what is happening to Tyre here is something that God has decreed, and he is simply using man to execute his decrees. And the purpose here is to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. So, as I said, Tyre has been under the influence, I would guess, of a number of different empires. And they just sort of always figure out, all right, what's the bribe going to be? How much tribute do we have to do? Because having Tyre operating is far more valuable to an empire than actually taking the city of Tyre. Tyre and Sidon represent a tremendous resource as an operating entity. As a conquered city, you've lost all that expertise. If you go in and conquer the city and wipe it out, then all of the trade and the knowledge and the seamanship and the connections and all of those kinds of things go away. And now you've got this chunk of land, I mean, a nice chunk of land, and I suppose you could build a villa there, but it doesn't generate the wealth that an operational Tyre and Sidon generate. So what an empire wants to do is come up to them, threaten them, and as I say, these are merchants, these are not warriors. So what we do is we come to a combination, all right? What's your cut? You know, what kind of a cut we got to give you here to let us continue to operate? And both sides of that agreement are okay with it. I'm sure the Phoenicians would rather not have an empire breathing down their neck, but they're still able to prosper tremendously, even under the influence, if you will, or being a vassal state or a vassal city of the Assyrians or the Babylonians or whatever. Verse 10, cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. 
The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, You will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. A couple of things here. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no restraint anymore. I have no idea what that means. Tell you flat out, I have no idea. And then he, God, has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. That's straightforward enough because the Assyrians do destroy the strongholds of Canaan. And he said, You will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. You'll see this virgin daughter of several other places in Scripture. The commentary I read speculated that it was a Hebrewism, which means this is the first time you've ever been conquered. So virgin daughter of whatever, this is the first time whatever that is has happened in your history. So the idea that Sidon has never been conquered before this. He said, you will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon, arise, cross over to Cyprus, even there you will have no rest. And of course, Cyprus is the island in the middle of the Mediterranean, and certainly in response to being threatened from the shore, it would be possible for them to mount up on their ships and shoot over to Cyprus to escape the siege, if you will. And what it's saying here is that isn't going to save you. So even there you will have no rest. 13. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. This stuck in the middle of the business of Lebanese coast. What it may be referring to, of course, the land of the Chaldeans is Babylon. And remember we talked last time when we had uh, an oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea, and you have 21.9, Behold, here come riders, horsemen in pairs, and he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. All the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. And when we went through that last time, you remember that several places in Scripture we have Babylon falling, and normally it's good news. So when we see it in Revelation, Babylon falling, everybody rejoices. And when Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians at Belshazzar's feast, that is a cause for rejoicing because Babylon is the one who has imprisoned Israel. And once they fall, the Medes and the Persians are going to let Israel return. Here in Isaiah, Babylon falling is a cause of lamentation by Israel because Merodach Baladan, he's a Chaldean, and he comes up from the south, occupies Babylon, which causes the Assyrians to have to turn back to the east, which means that they can't turn to the west and turn their attention to Israel. So when that rebellion falls apart, which is what's described in Isaiah 21, it is a source of grief to Israel because what they had hoped was going to happen, that that rebellion on the east of Assyria would succeed and that the Assyrians would not be able to turn their attention to Israel, 
that hope is dashed. So in Isaiah 21, Babylon falling is a bad deal. So when we come down here to the end of 23, behold the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Well, the Chaldeans were a people who were not until they rose up and came from the south and took over Babylon. They weren't Babylonians. So this is a people who were not Assyria destined it for wild beasts. In other words, Assyria went in and destroyed Babylon. They erected their siege towers, they stripped her palaces bare, they made her a ruin. This could easily be talking about that event. I'm not sure why we have that verse 13, however, stuck in the middle of the discussion about Tyre and Sidon. The only connection that I can make is back to Babylon having fallen back in chapter 21. So verse 14. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody, sing many songs, that you may be remembered. The days of a king, a lifespan. So 70 years being the days of one king, and that also coincidentally is the life of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. When I say coincidentally, you all understand that coincidence is not a kosher word, so I'm not quite sure what to do with that. And then it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute, which is to say, she will rise up and take her harp and go out and start collecting clients again. So Tyre will then become like a forgotten prostitute who has gone back into business, I guess you would say. And making sweet melody and singing many songs is by way of attracting clients. So she will again become a trading center. Verse 17. At the end of 70 years... The Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Does this sound very much to you like the whore of Babylon? All the nations of the earth cohabiting with her for purposes of gain. The metaphors of a prostitute in this case is not for sexual gratification, but for economic gratification. So at the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. And that's why I say that it sounds very much like Babylon in Revelation. Verse 18, her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. Remember... We started this off by saying a great deal of the success and wealth of Sidon and Tyre came about because of the alliance between David and Solomon and the king of Sidon and Tyre. Israel has access to the port of Elot, which gives you access down the coast of Africa to everything that Africa has to offer and around the south to everything that Asia has to offer. Phoenicia 
gives you access to the entire Mediterranean basin. Israel and Lebanon are the transshipment points, if you will, between those two major points. So the wealth of Solomon and the wealth of Phoenicia or Tyre and Sidon comes from that alliance. What this is saying is that that alliance will be reestablished. But I also read it as Lebanon will not be particularly righteous in that case, but it will be a marriage of convenience or an arrangement of convenience between Israel and the whore of Babylon. I don't know what to do with that, but that's what it seems to say.